Welcome to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. In this episode, we're going to continue our discussion as Dr. Yoni Rosenblatt joins the Sports Docs Podcast once again to focus on the rehab of different stabilization surgeries, including arthroscopic bank card repair, bank cards with the addition of a remplissage procedure, and latter J reconstruction. We then wrap up with the discussion on return to play and an important conversation on the psychological aspects of recovery. Let's jump right in. Okay, so um, you start to say, you know, basically you're still seeing the conservative ones. You're still like, I don't don't know. It's hard. Like I would say for the surgeon sort of side of things, like the training we get is so limited in like rehab and like that whole, so, you know, that sort of idea of like, oh, just steal somebody else's protocol. It's like people are like on the way out of fellowship and then they, it's like you're about to graduate and you're like, shoot, I got to steal all these protocols because I don't know, no one's ever talked to me about like rehab before. So I think it is, it's a little scary because you just focus all like for a decade, you're so focused on like surgery and like how to fix the problem and how to diagnose the problem stuff. And then nobody ever talks to you about the after. So I'm not surprised that, you know, you still get a lot of variability and then you do something a little different than what they have on the paper. And then they freak out because they're like, oh, God, I lost control. You know, so it's there just needs to be more education and it's just not happening. Well, well, that's why I love what you guys were talking about prior, which is like that you have your Rolodex of PTs you trust. Yeah. You when and and I've seen this by the way, where newer surgeons will come into the area and they will come in and interview me totally. to, to kind of yeah. see if I you know if I fit yeah. whatever it is they're looking for. Yeah. Um, and I think that's awesome. I I love yeah. that. Um. And and by the way, that that builds rapport so that you know I can't tell yeah. you how many therapy how many patients come to me first and say. Hey, I got this tear. Who do right. I go to? Yeah. Or like, it's just that comfort of sort of saying like, Hey, I'm worried about somebody, you know what yep. I mean? Or, you know, whatever, like this person stopped showing up or they're just like mentally. So I, um, when I was still a physical therapist, there was, so there's this gentleman, Dr. Meninger Coker, Ashley knows him. Uh, we trained under him in Boston. He's more like adolescent pediatric, um, sports medicine. And, you know, there'd be a couple of times where I'd be like rehabbing his patients that adolescent ACL. And I'd be really worried about them because mentally you could just see. And like, I just didn't know, like, you know, what would you like me to do about this or whatever? And he was always so available. And it was just, I knew if I called his office, I would get a call back from somebody, if not him. And, you know, it was just, you knew that like that person would be taken care of and you sort of felt like there was like this continuum and that you were a team. Um, and so I think those relationships are really important and it just like, you want to be able to like trust that person that they're going to, you know, do right by the patient and like be respectful of the protocol, but then also say to you, Hey, I think we can start this a little earlier and, you know, give you a little feedback and sort of say, because I think when I do this, it's totally fine. And, you know, we're all, we should all be doing that back and forth. Yeah. No question that where it's really valuable is. You know, we I see um, NFL athletes from across the country, right? Yeah. And so it is unbelievable. I'll, I will give him a shout out, Dr. Myers at Vincera, because yeah. that the amount of time that that guy has spent with me on yeah. the phone concerned yeah. about his patients is incredible. Yeah. Juxtaposed to, I'll see some bigger names. Right. Dude, I, they have no idea how their athlete is doing because they have yeah. never asked me. They've never seen a yeah. note and they wouldn't even understand my note. And so, so it's, it really... You find both. So I love that you guys are, are reaching out and being in touch. But Ashley, I cut you off. 
Oh, no, I was just going to add something that kind of uh, what we were talking about before about we leave fellowship and we just grab whatever PT protocol we can. I, I would almost argue I tried to do the opposite. Like when I got out, you know, you're not as busy when you first start. I tried to do a literature search for every yeah, like, like I do with everything. I yeah. did a literature search for every single surgery I did to try to come up with the evidence based PT protocol. Right. I wanted to use that. And I just felt like I was drowning because every single paper said something different. There was this yeah. PT protocol from this, this PT protocol from that. They're like, don't you dare move that shoulder how are you not moving that shoulder you know don't start strengthening why aren't you starting strengthening and i just remember being so overwhelmed because as you said catherine we're not taught that so i'm trying to use literature and the literature is all over the place yep. like and so i feel like we owe it as an orthopedic community first there needs to be a more of an emphasis on pt literature there's not doing a, a search for this episode like ajsm jses like they don't have a lot of articles about this side. It's all about surgery, surgery, implants, number one. Number two, we need to get consistent, come up with some some standardized protocols for standard surgeries to give our PT community so it isn't all over the place and they're not having to check the protocol every time they make a decision with a patient for fear they're going to get retribution, right? So I think that's something I really hope comes out in the future because it'll not only, I think, make us better care providers, but also make it easier for our like PT colleagues as well, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, you know, it, it's a tough space at times to research unbelievably. Mm -hmm. There's so much gray in our world because one, because not everything is standardized. I mean, I mean, you could do a supine external rotation with three pounds and that's not enough information to tell me how that exercise was performed. There are just so mm -hmm. many variables, especially in the shoulder. So it's tough to research, let alone who is supervising that, that mm -hmm. therapy? What was their training? What what is the environment? There are just so many factors. It's similar to the nutritional world where there's so many external factors. This is why you can't find one answer to lose weight or to gain muscle. Or to, There's some themes, but it's very hard with all, the, with all the things that we can't control versus your world, which is the patient is asleep. You're taking pictures <laughs> inside the shoulder. You are measuring things right to a millimeter. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot, there's a lot more that's controlled yeah exactly mm -hmm. so, so i think may maybe that's why and, and by the way that's part of what i love about what i do but it's it's also part of why there are a lot of crappy ass pts because it takes a long time to build a rolodex in your brain of this works this doesn't there are millions of mm -hmm. variables yeah absolutely yeah agree and you know so we're talking about you know that specifically about bank cart you know as far as like when do you start um and then we did want to talk a little bit about uh, Pat Denard and Albert Lynn's paper where it talks about remplissage. So, um, you know, as far as like the bank art, you know, we know that there's some complications, there's some challenges. Sometimes people need to do, you know, more um, either bony work or they have to add the remplissage. Are you seeing an increased number of remplissage um, in the postoperative patients coming into your clinic? Yes. Short answer. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's crazy. Uh, Baltimore has a reputation of of being a forward thinking medical community, mm -hmm. um, and that, that's because of Hopkins. Really, yeah. um, it is. I would say um, less impressive in the sports world. And so we have a lot of doctors that are very slow to come around, and we have some doctors that it's a slam dunk that they're going to be doing the latest and greatest and can tell mm -hmm. you why and can tell you how they, you know, how they're doing the procedures and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, so I'm definitely seeing more. It's, it's not as much as I would have hoped. You know, I go, I go to Massis and I'm, I'm learning about all these surgical techniques and I'm looking around the room and I'm like, 
why the hell are, is this shoulder god in Baltimore not doing this? Well, mm-hmm. it's a matter of like how up on the literature and, and, and how thoughtful you are with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, with the remplissage, are you seeing any difference in terms of recovery? I don't know about you, Catherine. I don't limit yeah. them in any way. It's the exact same protocol for a bank art versus bank art with remplissage. But we hear in the literature of some loss of rotation. And also, uh, Larry Galata was pointing out when we were having our webinar about some posterior cuff pain. Are you seeing that in remplissage patients? I'm really, I'm really not. Um, I, I haven't, you know, patients can come in and it would be a challenge for me to pick out who had the remplissage and who yeah. didn't. And that's coming from a guy who, when, a, when an ACL walks in, I can pick who did their surgery by the way they're walking. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm noticing this stuff and I could not tell you other than the fact that they seem to be more stable, mm-hmm. which is the idea. That is right. the idea. Mm-hmm. And the posterior cuff campaign, I think, makes sense that, like, I would say I talk to people about it as a possibility, but I can't say I've actually seen it as, like, a consistent theme that they're having this, like, you know, pain that's a little bit more than a traditional rotator, or I'm sorry, traditional, like, sort of shoulder surgery. Like, so I can't say mm-hmm. I see anything there either. I actually do. No, I completely agree. And then with the with the loss of rotation, because we also talked about that um, when we were talking about doing that webinar, that I think it's based on where you put the anchors. So like if you put it right there at that margin and like really tighten up that capsule and really shut down that joint space, like they're going to lose rotation. But like you just put it dead center in the hill sacks. And especially I think nowadays that we're using it more as like an added check rein. So we're not using these giant hill sacks. It's just maybe a high risk patient with, you know, a a hill sack that maybe is non-engaging, but they've got 7% bone loss and they're a contact athlete and they're male. So you just want to back it up. If you put it dead center in the small hill sacks, I don't think we're going to see a rotational loss. So I I haven't seen that. Um, And I don't think I would do a remplissage in a giant hill sacks with bone loss. I think I'd probably talk about doing something more like a open bony stabilization procedure now now if it's a pitcher is that going to change your calculus with with a remplissage yeah i think you have to think about those things i think there's a lot coming into play with like um you know what's their age what like what are they trying to do you know like i think that is like definitely a discussion you have to have with the patient like the risk is like okay like are we going to be like changing your rotation such that it's really going to impact your performance or maybe not allow you to get back, you know? And I think if I'm, you know, the, the doc with that patient, I'm having that discussion of like that this could mean that you need an additional surgery later if we skip the remplissage, but that's probably Mm -hmm. a risk worth taking to allow you to try to get back and have that mobility. Um, because if we take away that mobility, like I don't have a good reason, like way that I can really get it back. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I also think we have to think about the pathology we're treating, right? So pitchers, I feel like have more of like a chronic attenuation of like their anterior inferior capsule label complex. I would anticipate they'd probably not have significant bony deficit, maybe not a huge hill sacs lesion. And of course, if they have a dislocation snowboarding and they're a pitcher, a different story. But I think most of the instabilities that I'm seeing in a pitching athlete tend to be more like chronic attenuation with a non-displaced labrum tear. And in that case, I don't think I would do a remplissage. But I think the tricky part would come as Catherine was alluding to, if it's a con, if it's like snowboarder dislocations, a true, like one that you would consider remplissage and they're a pitcher, I think you have that conversation and you just let them know the risks and benefits and let them make the decision. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. 
So I think we beat Remplissage to death. So let's talk about um, Latterjay versus Vanguard. So our next paper by Nick Verma and his team at Rush um, looked at PT protocols, kind of what we were talking about, right? They looked at about 30 something PT protocols, found they all said something different. Um, they tried to compare Vanguard to Latter-J and they found that um, Latter-J patients were able to hit their milestones earlier. They were able to do more things early in their PT, um, which they thought perhaps led to an earlier return to sports and some of those early return to sport metrics that they were seeing. So is this consistent with what you're seeing? Do you feel like the latter patients progress quicker through their recovery or is it surgeon dependent no i definitely think it's just a more stable repair and a more stable surgery on the flip side it's mm -hmm. just less apprehension um it's it's less shifting in, inside of joint they, they just feel more comfortable so yeah they they do progress i will say ladder j has come a long way i'd say in the last 10 years i used to see a ladder j and it, Man, they're hiking like crazy. They're missing 20 degrees of abduction, and, mm. and it was a mess. Um, and over the last 10 years, it has gotten yeah. worlds better to the point where the only difference I really see is that the patient just feels more stable. Yeah. I used to, one of the guys I trained under, Tom Hackett and Vale, like he, it always sticks in my head. He always used the um, term bomb proof. Like, yeah. <laughs> like your shoulders just bomb proof go like just, you know, just yeah it's not going anywhere it's gonna take like you know like there you know some terrible terrible thing because you know he would see like the navy seal population or you know these guys who are like out like you cannot have your shoulder re-dislocating where you are you know yeah. what i mean like you are if you are out in the environment like I do. I need this to be bomb proof. And, you know, and I think yeah. that's exactly what you're saying. They just feel like so much more stable, you know, much more quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, that surgery also has, um, you know, it has different complications that we have to think about and, you know, it has a little bit more risk. It has a bigger incision, you know, for the most part, uh, some people are doing it arthroscopic, but I would say it's sort of like a, kind of quasi arthroscopic, you know, they start off arthroscopic and then still open a bit. Um, but any complications or things that Yoni you're seeing in your clinic that like are different or what's on the negative sort of side? Hey guys, quick pause and a quick shout out to this new masterclass that we just launched here at True Sports Physical Therapy. Myself and Dr. Tim Stone put together a masterclass of ACL rehab and we call it from table to turf. And the reason we call it that is because it's going to teach you exactly how to get your athlete all the way from post-op day one with the nitty gritty of regaining all of that range of motion with the tips and the tricks that we use here at True Sports Physical Therapy that gets our athletes better, faster, and stronger. And that's early. And then how do you progress that athlete all the way onto the field with a ball in their foot or a stick in their hand or whatever their sport is and teach them how to accelerate, how to decel, how to change direction, and all the mechanics that go in there. What drills do we use to get our athletes exactly where they need to be back on the field and even better than before injury? And I want you to sign up for that class. Now, you can find it on our website. You can shoot us a direct message and just say, hey, send me the course. It's right now on sale, so make sure you sign up now. It is fully accredited to get you all of your continuing education hours. Sign up for the True Sports Masterclass ACL from table to turf. Thanks, guys. I think the negative is horizontal adduction. I mean, it doesn't show up that much. 
Um, it, it might, I, I had a, I had a quarterback who, who went through, um, a ladder yeah. J and he had some issues, like as he's putting his thumb in his opposite pocket, like coming okay. across on follow through, um, that, that it bothered him a little bit. It wasn't anything he could work through. He's a great case of the guy's going to get blown up in the pocket. It better be stable. Right. Yeah. So a little, a little bit different than maxing out your layback with a patient, with a pitcher that yeah. you're going to be more worried about like every single degree quarterback is far um, less so. But I think right. it's that. I think it's just that horizontal adduction. Sometimes they get a, a little bit what I call pinchy, for lack of a better term, overhead. So I'll see my crossfitters have some issues with yeah. their snatch work um, and, and we'll just like change their grip a little bit. Um, yeah. but, but again, I, I think that's the trade-off for that increased stability. Yeah, makes sense. Awesome. So now we want to talk about one of our favorite topics, which is yeah. return to play. ACLs. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. actually, just yeah. Let's we just give up the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about ACL. Um, so no, we want to talk about safe return to play um, after yep. surgery. Um, so this is obviously really important. We talk about it a lot with ACL, but it's really important with shoulder stabilization. So recent literature is suggesting that the use of a return to play test to determine clearance may lower the rate of re-injury. So our next page, our next paper by Brian Sconey and T at UMass demonstrated that the use of a combined functional assessment and psychological screen was associated with significantly lower rate of redislocation. So are you performing functional assessments for patients after shoulder stabilization surgery to determine if they are prepared to return to play? Hell yes. <laughs> I mean, nice. I, I think, I, and, and by the way, I, I think it helps the psychological side. I, I will yeah. say I don't run a psychological battery on them to figure out mm -hmm. their readiness to return, although I know there's value in that. Um, what I try to do is treat the entire athlete every single time they come in. Part of that is their mental health and their confidence. And if they are crushing their return to sport testing, they're mm -hmm. obviously going to feel far more confident. You know, we use the, the single arm push-up test because it is so jarring to the joint that if you can handle that, you're going to be in good stead. But also, use of simple technology has, has really come a long way. So, um, so we'll use um, a, a crane scale or what's called a tin deck, which is just a really small force monitor, and it'll give you rate of force development. It'll give you your max force, and it'll freeze it. It makes it really easy. It comes with a phone app, and it's super easy to hook up in your clinic. It costs like 150 bucks. Um, every clinic should be doing that, and we will test them in very standardized position. We'll test them um, max external rotation effort at neutral. We'll test them at 90-90, um, and then we and, and we'll do internal rotation as well. Then we have good literature. Then we or then we have good objective data so that we can come back and say, "Hey, you're this percent. Let's get you to that percent. Are you better? Are you worse?" Versus, "Hey, how do you feel?" So mm -hmm. I love that. On the higher end of things, we've been using uh, force plates, yeah. and so we'll put our patients in a supine position at an IYT and yeah. measure their max efforts. Um, and we'll do that. That's awesome for stability because that is a very vulnerable position of the patient overhead, especially with that abduction, because the joint is totally exposed. So how much force can you create in that position? How confident are you there? Um, mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite tests when I'm diagnosing labral tears is how confident do you feel there? How much force can you do there? Okay, let me put my entire hand on, on your anterior capsule and hold that, that humerus inside a glenoid where it should be. Oh, you're so much better. Well, because I'm doing the job of your labrum. So go to mm -hmm. Ashley and let her fix your labrum so we can get back at this stuff, right? But those are some of the return to sports stuff that we're doing. And then we also do, every once in a while, dust off the closed kinetic chain upper extremity where mm -hmm. we're timing taps and things like that. I like that because 
it pulls in your core. Um, you have to be able to, to really stabilize appropriately. We do a lot of core work that becomes a very heavy home exercise um, mm -hmm. focus for our patients. Um, and, and that's the way we really gauge their return to sport. And then you want to make sure when you're going out and interviewing these PTs, do they have a place and a know-how to, if you're working with a thrower, to get out and throw, to video your throwing sessions, the, the understanding to periodize your return to throw programming, things of that nature, or put it in the cross. Do they know what a good snatch is? Do they know what a clean should look like? How is the shoulder moving appropriately? The patient has to prove to themselves that they can do it. They can't do that if the therapist doesn't know what it should look like. Yeah. So, so just thinking those things through, I want to always be in a facility that an athlete can do everything they need to do on the field in my yeah. office. So I'm going to ask you like sort of an in the weeds question. When you're doing the force plates and you're testing them um, supine for the YTIs, um, are you like, where's the uh, pressure? Is it on like the back of their hand or are you doing it on the forearm? Like, how do you stay consistent with that? Forearm, great question. I, okay. I want to I limit that as much as possible. We're going to measure the angle of their shoulder so that that's uniform. We're going to put them in a hook line position when they're doing that so okay. that they are able to stabilize appropriately so that we can yeah. try to remove as much gray as possible. Yeah. It's tricky. Like, so we do a lot of exercise testing in my clinic. Our lower extremity stuff, I feel, is like really dialed. The upper extremity stuff, we're like, we actually had this meeting, like a few, it was like the, as soon as we got back from the holidays where like we just carved out like three hours to like play with some physical therapists and my staff of like my two athletic trainers and just sort of say like, how do we want to do our shoulder testing? How do we want to, you know, cause it's not as like concrete as like the ACL sort of testing. We don't have as much data around it. I was really excited by this study because it tried to really put some like, you know, like we're talking about, there's not enough evidence out there or there's not enough standardization and they're really trying to do that. So I thought they did a great job in this paper and also incorporating the psychological. But I think that's a good tip. Like we basically have been doing, because the way our force plates like suggest is you you should be doing these tests prone. And I'm like, but that doesn't make sense yeah. to, you know what I mean? <laughs> do it prone, like what? You know, I don't know. Well, um, it's, it's really it's really easy to cheat those, right? So yeah. just like when we're, we're doing Tindex testing for um, QI, for quad indexing, okay. like we belt our patient down yeah. to, you know, to their plyo. The only thing that can move is their knee, right? Yeah. So, so you want to try to isolate that as much as possible. And I think the shoulder is super vulnerable in that supine position because of the anterior yeah. translation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think those are really, really good tips. And um, I'm going to share them with my team. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> I, well, honestly, I, I, think... I love that you're talking to them about that because I, I've lost my mind at Massis about this, but it's, it's crazy <laughs> to me when a, when a patient goes back to their doctor and then the patient comes back to me like, yep, doctor cleared me for return to sport. Yes. I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah, it's cr the, the return to sport testing really has opened my eyes into that we really think patients are ready before they're actually ready. Like when I was in fellowship, we were doing a study on return to play testing after ACL. And we looked at, we compared it to historical controls. And we looked at when the surgeon thought they were ready and then sent them for the testing. And it was like 
85% of the time, the surgeons would have cleared someone that was like grossly not ready to undergo. And these are like, I did my, my fellowship at Rothman. These are Rothman surgeons that are well-trained that work with professional athletes. And they're like, you look good. And then they go out there and they're not good. Their yeah. balance is all off. Their, their limb symmetry is terrible, you know, and you don't, you don't realize that until you test them. And then you get the patient buy-in. When I turn around, I show them the test and they have fail written down. I've all like five of the seven columns for a shoulder. I just had one. She thought she was absolutely ready to get back to volleyball. I mean, she's not contact, but still. And I'm like, look at how bad you did. And she was like, oh, okay, I'll keep going to PT then. Thank you. It allows them to get buy-in as well too. So it protects us, it protects them. It's hugely important. We should do it for every joint personally, I think. I had uh, Jamie, who is like at my front office, she was like, she messaged me and she's like, so-and-so called, they want to be cleared for skiing. And I was like, over the phone? Like, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, yes. I was like, no. no. Oh, and they're, uh, they're three months now from their ACL. They feel great. That's awesome. And, and they're on top of the mountain. So they need to hear back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, appreciate this. It was a bare ACL. So what you do with the bare ACLs, they feel so good. They're just like, I'm ready. And you're like, no, you're not. Like, you're still like, you feel good. Your pain's down relative, I think, to traditional ACLs. But you still have to do all the work. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it was funny. I was like, over the phone? Like, who? <laughs> anyway. Um, no, I think all those things are super helpful. I think the psychological stuff like plays into Yoni, as you indicated, like how they're moving, you know, if like they're not moving well, obviously psychologically, that's gonna, you know, indicate like, it's almost like two way street. Like you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's super important. I, I would say like, since you're talking about like, um, tricks of the trade, when, when you're talking Bankart or Ladder J, the, once their motion is back, the game is stability, right? And, and yeah. motor control, especially overhead or in the vulnerable positions. So it's super important that I'd say you guys relate to your therapists or therapists that are listening that you are actually challenging that stability at whatever end range they have. And that, that can come yeah. from a, a wide array of things, whether it be rhythmic stabilization. Yeah. You'll see like some of the higher level strength coaches are awesome at this, especially in the baseball world of putting them at end ranges and doing manual resistances are super yeah. important, but also being able to handle one load. So heavy Turkish get-ups and the yeah. ability to handle that, but also um, unstable Turkish get-ups. Like how do they do when, when things aren't going perfectly and things aren't perfectly in line? Can they react and adjust? It's just important that that happens. And, and it bleeds into the previous conversation, which is there's no way a doctor in your setup can look yeah. at that. Not because yeah. you don't know how, it's just yeah. you're sitting on a table and you know, it, right. it's just not conducive. Cause it's something even like, and there's the other caveat, which like, we do have a ton of equipment to test people out, but like the caveat I always give them is like, you're not fatigued right now. Like yeah. I'm just sort of like testing you in this little, like just to give me a little data, this data goes to your physical therapist. They're also going to test a bunch of different things, but then say when it comes to like, you know, say a lacrosse player who has shoulder instability and like, how are you at the end of the game when you've been nailed like a right. million times, you know? Right. And it's just point. like, are you still like able to absorb that force and, you know, not feel like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, that fatigue factor is like, no matter how well we try and test people, like, and that's where you're talking about, like when you're talking about the thrower, like you have to do that gradation to get them back. Cause they have to sort of build up that endurance as well as all like it's specific skills and the strength and the fine motor you know yep. so i think no matter what we do there's always little pieces that we're not you know capturing for sure. 
So the last thing we want to talk, to talk about is you talked a little bit about you don't do psychological screens, but obviously you're with them every day. So you're, you're not every day with three days a week um, assessing them and seeing kind of how they feel. So something I found interesting about the paper we just talked about is that patients pass a psychological screen before they pass the physical screen. So they pass the psychological screen at about five months and then the physical screen around six months. So they felt prepared to go back in before they were physically ready, which I feel like usually they're linked, kind of like you said, if they're not feeling good about their shoulder, they're not performing well, they're not going to be psychologically ready. But this found something a little different. So our final paper looked at the shoulder instability RSI score to predict ability to return to their pre-injury level sport participation and found that the higher RSI score predicted return to pre-injury levels. So what are your thoughts on this? Do you feel like fear of re-injury holds patients back from getting back in, even if physically they're recovering well? And if so, how do you think we should address this? True sports physical therapy is growing like wildfire. We have 14 locations, soon to be more. We are throughout the state of Maryland. We're in Pennsylvania, in Lebanon and New York, Pennsylvania, as well as in Delaware, in Newark and Wilmington, Delaware. Like I said, so many more practices to come and we always need outstanding sports physical therapists. Our treatment style is unique. We are one-on-one -on -one with your athlete for 45 minutes every single session you do the entire treatment you do the entire evaluation and they are in state-of-the-art facilities where you have room to run throw and jump and really get your athlete all the way back to on the field and better and stronger than they were we also have outstanding salaries comp structures bonus abilities 401ks as well as a very strong continuing education offering, including in-house continuing education. And we're looking for you. Now is the time, as we are growing like crazy, just shoot your resume over to Yoni, Y-O-N-I, at True Sports PT, or shoot us a DM, and we will hit you back. We will get you in for our unique tried-and-true interview process and really make a determination that this is the right place for you to grow your career and get your athletes better than ever. We can't wait to hear from you. So yes, I, I do see that. Um, so I would agree with that. I'm not surprised by that outcome. Um, I'm also not surprised that a lot of patients think they're better than they are. Um, mm -hmm. I just think that's the nature of the beast, especially in, in a high level athlete. They're always going to think that they're the best um, and, and they use that to their advantage. The way to incorporate this into clinical practice is to give your patient the hardest thing you think that they can accomplish appropriately with good form and good technique and things like that. And that's how you build their confidence. I mean, when, when you have an athlete go through these returns to tests that, that I mentioned, but also as a piece of returns to tests, what's your med ball velocity like? What's your throwing velocity like? How many reps have you done? Have you been on a mound? Have you thrown to your PT? Things like that. They've already, well, if they've already done that stuff in the clinic, it's going to match what they can do, right? That, that's the way I feel. I always used to say, like, I don't treat above the neck. But it's really not true. Like, we really do. And with every single exercise and every single session, that's why I harp on the import of not wasting a session. Every single session, you need to be challenging that athlete. Now, sometimes that's just with a cane exercise. Yeah. But sometimes that, mm -hmm. that's with a, a max velocity uh, med ball toss. So uh, as long as you're challenging appropriately, giving them a chance to succeed and not beating them down by giving them things that are too hard, those should become locks, you know, lockstep, I think is the phrase. Yeah. They should mm -hmm. happen together. Yeah, that makes sense.
Yeah, Yoni, I think that is a really good point, you know, to therapists or, you know, and really to doctors too, like anytime you have a visit, like there, you know, you should get a, as much value out of that visit as you can. And because all of these things are so multifactorial, whether it's like the physical or the mental, and it's, you know, even just, you know, sort of listening or challenging or, you know, whatever, all these things are going to come out. So I think, you know, just that alone is a really good piece of advice, just that you got to try and get that value out of everything. And like, you know, sometimes that doctor's visit is like, oh, I'm just here to like take out their stitches. You know what I mean? But it's, you know, there's probably some other things that we can be doing, you know. Absolutely. I think that also just we're increasingly realizing how much people really struggle with injury, not only with the surgery, but with injury. Um, Catherine, I mean, you started a whole program surrounding this, you know, to try to help people. Yoni through the knows trial. Emily. Oh, hmm? well, oh, Yoni knows Emily. Oh, so yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's really important. I mean, up until a few years ago, I didn't know who to send someone to if they were struggling. And a lot of my ACL, not a lot, but a few of my ACL patients were really struggling not being with their team and really were becoming withdrawn. They didn't want to go to school. It's, it's really hard. And we're kind of at a loss of how to deal with that. But there's this renewed focus on sports psychologists, so sports psychiatrists and getting people the help they need. That's a really important part. If your mind isn't in it. Like it doesn't matter how much physical you do. I agree with you, Yoni. I think they're linked. But if someone's held back mentally, I don't know if they can fully recover until we address that as well. Yeah, it's true. Like I think, you know, you know, Emily, like I think for you know, both Ashley and I, we do probably draw a a specific type of patient that sort of looks at us and thinks they're going to listen to me, you know, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like someone who maybe already knows I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling like, you know, a little worried about undergoing this surgery. And um, so it's a big part of my population where I just have people who are really high achievers. They're super type A so that when they have these sort of challenges, it's sort of like they've lost some control. They struggle with that for a period of time. And they're like, okay, but my expectation, like, you know, I had someone recently, it's like, who came in from the other side of the state who drove five hours just because she's sort of like, I'm not doing as well as other people in my community. You know, and it's just sort of like, you know, wasn't even one of my operative patients, but it was sort of like, I need to know why, why am I not as good? You know, and there was nothing structurally wrong. It just was like that, you know, it's a, it's a spectrum and it's a hard sort of recovery and people recover at all different types of speeds and stuff. But I think understanding like what Emily Perrin does, is, you know, she does a lot of great work and just trying to you know, either normalize a lot of those feelings, but also yeah. just giving people like the tools to sort of reduce that anxiety um, and understand like how that they can, you know, work through some of those challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important. I, I see it now. I'm, I'm working with a, an NFL player who blew his Achilles, had it repaired. Mm -hmm. He cannot go a day without being compared to Aaron Rodgers. Oh, yeah. And, right. Oh, and, and, and yeah. so it's, and, and by the way, to, two totally different surgeries. Yeah. I mean, different yeah. techniques. We don't have to get into it, but the level, the expectations are yeah. totally different for those surgeries, yeah. but it doesn't matter. He walks into yeah. his locker room and they're like, uh, I saw Rogers yeah. throwing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, so it, it can be well, tough. such a bad precedent to start. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. I can't, don't get me started. I get so mad. I'm sorry. As someone who likes to stick to protocols and follow literature, that just because I have Achilles patients too that are like, you know, thankfully, like they're reasonable people, but they're, yep. they're not like, but they're like, I mean, he was like walking, like yeah. wayfaring without a boot two weeks after yeah. surgery. Like, why am I in this? And I'm like, oh God, here we go. You know, it's just, it's hard to correct that kind of um, expectation. So that has to be challenging. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, I, this was an awesome conversation. Yep. I learned a ton yeah. and Thank now you. I know who to reach so out to nice. when I have PT protocol questions instead of racking my head against the wall looking at PubMed. So <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to help. This was great. Thank, thank you guys so much for having me on. I learned a ton and uh, I yeah. love the way you guys go about it. I love your approach and how thoughtful you guys are. It, it's just awesome thank to you. see docs yeah, operating at this level. It's really awesome. Well, you obviously do great work. Um, yeah. And, you know, I like you know, your clinic has an excellent reputation. You have an excellent reputation. Like I, you know, first came across you, you know, through um, lacrosse and the PLL and, you know, every athlete that um, you work with, you know, is always just has like a million great things to say and, you know, you help them get to where they need. So, um, you know, you're at the head of your game. So thank you for all you do. And we really appreciate you um, sharing all your tips and tricks. Thank you yeah. guys. Appreciate awesome. you both. Yeah. Thank you. Bye.